Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and Mr. Taylor, whose writings on the industry you can regularly read over at The Wrap, and whose musings on Mission Impossible movies you can listen to on the Light Diffuse podcast, he and I are recording this week's show on Sunday, May 14th, 2023, Mother's Day. So thanks to all the moms out there, and your mom relocated from Connecticut like two years ago, right? So Yeah, she's in, she's in Nebraska, but I, me and my younger sister sister sent her dinner so i think oh. she hopefully that's our way of being with her sort of on mother's day so we should all be so lucky to have a mother as long as you have one Jim, well so. and speaking of which uh, by the way i made the mistake of saying my mother was 92 last week turns out she's 91 and even at that age women are sensitive about their age also you <laughs> you mentioned food is your mom like my mom you, you go to her house and she hands you food because evidently where you live, there are no supermarkets. Correct. Correct. I don't yeah. understand this. All right. I I literally arrived at my mom's house today with a 1,500-pound party-sized lasagna. In fact, we, we negotiated this earlier in the week because of all of my, my brothers and sisters and their various siblings and kids were going to come by the house. And I thought, oh, you don't want to cook. You'll have it there. You can serve it. But she now starts handing me food. And, and, and the thing that drives me crazy is, and God help me if my sister actually listens to this podcast, she's handing me the food that my sister gives her. My sister is genetically linked to my mother. So evidently she thinks, wow, I should get mom food. And she can put it in the freezer. And it's like, just put it this way, folks. If the world ever comes to an end, just go to the Hill House. There will be food enough there for several millennia mostly deeply frozen and y'all better like squash soup because there was like 3,000 containers of that which I took 12 of them home with me today so anyway happy Mother's Day <laughs> okay in addition to being Mother's Day it is the 12th day of the WGA strike which started back on May 2nd what are we hearing out there Drew uh, I'm hearing it is going to be going on for a very long time. Mm. And I've also heard that the WGA and uh, SAG are also uh, potentially going to strike very soon. Mm. So it would be a very interesting time in Hollywood, Holy Jim. Because from the animation side of the fence, what's been interesting, I, I think uh, it was Deadline that reported that Seth MacFarlane and the showrunners on American Dad and Family Guy, in solidarity, were putting down their pencils. Now, mind you, this is after completing the 20th season of American Dead and God knows how many seasons of Family Guy there have been at this point. Pretty impressive considering you. Know, I looked up how much Seth MacFarlane is worth and it's like $350 million. So I appreciate him getting down and dirty with the with the rest <laughs> of the, the strikers. <laughs> no, speaking of, of strikers, there is so much writing on the Writers Guild strike, but at the same time, there's something significant going on over at Disney. Did you see the, the picketers outside of the, the building there that are striking because they want to unionize? Is this the, anima the animation workers? Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't see that they were striking too, but that is great. I mean, I'm so happy about that. Some stuff has been bubbling up on social media. that They've been kind of thrown into eclipse by what's been going on 
all over town, but there's a group of folks over at Disney who want to set up a union and they're coming up against the uh, Mouse House management and just want to acknowledge, hey, we've seen that. And if somebody wants to reach out and and share what's going on, uh, we'd love to chat with you folks. Anyway, beyond that, animation continues to be big at the box office. We are five weeks and change into Super Mario Brothers. It was number two at the box office behind Guardians, which everyone's talking about how well, normally they, with the MCU films, they fall off a cliff in week two. This one had a surprisingly strong hold. But uh, as of right now, Super Mario domestically is at $535 million and it's worldwide it's almost a billion two at this point right yeah yeah that is just crazy it just became the the i think last week minions was still the most successful illumination movie and now mario has eclipsed it since Uh, yeah now realistically though Mario has done as well as it it has because again it got great word of mouth for fans of the game it gave them what they wanted but it also kind of was able to take advantage of the fact that there just wasn't a whole lot of family friendly stuff out there but that changes in two weeks time when when the Disney live action Little Mermaid which they have begun the promotional push for that. Is, isn't tonight Disney night on American Idol? And they've been hyping this all week That because I guess Halle Bailey is going to make an appearance on the show. And I think they're, they're going to show the part of the world number again. Yeah, I saw photos of her from sort of inside Club 33 earlier this week. So, yes, she will She will be there, yes. And again, we mentioned on last week's show, you were, the very next day, we're going to be, you know, uh, watching the premiere, at again, across the street at the Dolby. Is the embargo up yet? Can you actually talk about this, or? I think I can share my thoughts. I can't review it, obviously. Oh, but, okay. um, yeah, it's, it's solid. It's very long. Mm-hmm. It's, you know... 134 minutes or something which i don't really understand Mm -hmm. how kids are going to sit through that but as i understand spider-man across the spider-verse is also very long really oh wow okay maybe this is the summer where children learn to sit still and quiet (laughs) for a prolonged period of time (laughs) right the trades were just covering there's the three new songs that that Mencken did with lin manuel but they were also talking up the fact that stuff from the original film has been cut don't get me wrong. Nobody walked out the door humming, you know, we are the daughters of Triton. But is it true? Did they cut the, the Chef Louis song too? Yeah. Le Poisson or whatever. Yeah, that's not in there. And there's a very simplified version of Fathoms Below okay. that is in the movie, but not, huh. not as robust as we remember it. But hey, Jim, it's all, it's a trade-off because you get to hear Scuttle rapping. <laughs> So, you know, it's what we've always wanted. Now I'm just thinking about Buddy Hackett trying to do those. Well, oh, oh, you're killing me. By doing what they did, you know, removing the songs they did, you know, foreshortening Fathoms Below and getting rid of Daughters of Triton, the idea was that part of your world would hit that much bigger, that much more effective. And it took me wrong. You and I saw that at D23, and I I thought it was a, a really great rendition of the song, but... How far in were we into the movie before Ariel sings for the first time? Yeah, I mean, we're pretty far in. I mean, what's interesting, too, is that they gave her another number after she goes through the transformation. 
which is kind of inside her head, I, I which is a great solution because like you could see like you know the people sitting around the board table going, mm-hmm. she doesn't sing in the second half, she doesn't sing, mm-hmm. like we got to get her to sing. Okay. So that's that was kind of the workaround for that. Wow. There's also a re- very weird mm-hmm. element where after the spell is cast, mm-hmm. she part of the spell is also that she can't remember that she's got to kiss Prince Eric. So the animals, you know, the Sebastian and Flounder and Scuttle know, but she doesn't, so, which adds a whole nother crazy dimension to kiss the girl because they're kind of trying to oh. engineer this moment without her even knowing what it's all about, oh. which is both interesting and unnecessarily complicated. <laughs> so yeah, there's a, there's some interesting adjustments in this new one. Oh, jeez. Okay, well. <laughs> it will make a lot of money, though, Jim. It will be one of the biggest movies of the summer, for sure. Nathan, I just had the Celtics game on here, and you, like, literally, two ads aired back-to-back. They did the new Transformers ad, but they also ran the, the latest iteration of the Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. But Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse comes out the very next weekend. I mean, The Little Mermaid gets the Memorial Day weekend and the more people will go to the movies on that Monday. Then Spider-Man drops right after that. And then two weeks after that comes Pixar's Elemental, which, by the way, I had somebody reach out from Disney trying to sort of sell me on the idea that this is Pixar's first ever rom-com. What do you think about that positioning of this project? That's interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, they always have very strong messaging for these things. You will will recall the uh, good dinosaur. It's not a Western (laughs) uh, guardrails that were put up uh, before the movie came out. Sure, I guess it is the first rom-com. I don't know. I mean... Again, I feel like the the romance is kind of secondary to this kind of amazing, you know, immigrant okay. story okay. that the movie okay. is. But sure. But at the same time, Pixar's Elemental comes out on the same weekend as The Flash, which uh, wasn't the word coming out of CinemaCon that was surprisingly strong after all of the bad press that have wrapped around that thing? Yeah, I've, I've heard it's wonderful. Okay. I mean, people have said it's, you know, as good as, you know, one of the Christopher Nolan movies mm. or... Batman 1989 or Superman 78. So, okay. oh, oh, before we leave uh, Pixar uh, Elemental, I want to remind folks that the day the show drops is when the art of Elemental comes out from Chronicle Books. And when we finish up here, true, I'm, I'm going to hop on Amazon and get my copy of that ordered. And you know, and of course, if if you happen to be hopping on Amazon to do that, folks, I, I told you about the wonderful Art of Onward book. <laughs> You know, that is is also worth adding to your reference library. Anyway, and then just two weeks after all of that, Pixar Elemental and The Flash, here comes Ruby Gilman, uh, Teenage Kraken, which, are you seeing anything for that out in L.A.? I mean, are they at least doing the billboards or that sort of thing yet? I haven't seen anything. I, In fact, over at Universal, we drove by yesterday, and I think there was a billboard for Strays, which comes out in August, which is kind of an animation wow. live-action hybrid we can talk about closer to when that comes out. But I haven't seen anything for Ruby Gilman. I think... I don't know. I don't. I don't know if this is like something that will be on Peacock very quickly mm-hmm. or something. But um, mm. yeah, I don't see a lot about it. I haven't seen any commercials or anything. Okay. Okay. Well, I, again, I just I like what I've seen 
so far of that. And I also kind of like it as mermaid counter-programming. I wonder if, if that's the idea. Wait, wait till you get on the other side of, of mermaid being launched and then we get Ruby. But I don't know. It's just such a tough year to predict. I mean, I think everybody thought Mario would do well, but were people talking that Mario would do a billion and counting well? I mean, you heard it here first, Jim. What did I say? I said this could be the biggest movie of the year. And looking at the rest of the calendar, I don't know what will make more money than Super Mario Brothers. You know? You got to give them points for for positioning and how the ads were done. I mean, going to be fascinating. We get to December this year and see whether you were on the mark there. But anyway, folks, lots more animation news to come. But first, uh, I want to remind you, news portion of this week's fine tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience every time, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Wanted to follow up on something we mentioned a, a week or so back. Remember when we were chatting about the King Charles coronation? Did you see the story just this past week about you know some lip reader you know actually figured out what Charles was saying to Camilla inside of the wonderful golden carriage as they were being pulled through the streets wearing their crowns and their lovely white robes? What did they? What were they saying? Basically, Charles was evidently, oh, this is boring. This is very boring. And it's just sort of like you know, <laughs> which is of course you know what you want to hear when you're spending what 160 million dollars on 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 a useful useless. <laughs> ceremony from what the 1200s it's like yeah that's a great way to get started so uh, what they, they were talking about is that there were these vignettes that were supposed to be dropped in during various moments of the live broadcast to cover <laughs> he was changing to another robe or putting on his backup crown and so they were you know like the the tom cruise flyover and but there was one that the disney company yep. had prepped which featured Winnie the Pooh and Piglet. Did you get to see this? No. Is, is it online? Yes, it somewhere? is. Uh, and it's it's basically Pooh and Piglet okay. at the door of Windsor Castle. And the colorful story that they're sharing is that evidently when King Charles was Prince Charles, he loved uh, the red squirrels that were on the grounds of Windsor Castle. And so much so that he named a few of them and, and let them get into Windsor Castle occasionally. And the, the animation actually shows Pooh opening the door of the castle and a whole bunch of red squirrels run in and promptly, I, I, I don't know, maybe they eat the wiring of the building. I'm, I'm not sure. And I mean no disrespect to the people who did the animation for this thing, but we've seen just in the past 10 years, was Winnie the Pooh? Uh, the movie the, was the, 2011. So 2011. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, okay. within the past 10 or 12 years, we, we've seen high quality animation of Winnie the Pooh done by Disney Studios. I got to say this stuff, when you look at it, it looks like the stuff that was done for the new adventures of Winnie the Pooh back in the mid eighties, you know, for the Disney afternoon show, it wasn't great. And in fact, there's a shot in this thing where Pooh is holding open the door at Windsor castle and it was either done so quickly or so haphazardly. Pooh's hand is is hanging in midair uh, about two inches away from the actual door. <laughs> they didn't even line up the pieces of, uh, of animation. Again, you know, it's just one of these things where it's like, 
Yes, we, we'd love to take part in the King Charles coronation telecast and say, here, we have a dollar forty. Go do what you can. But I, I don't know. I was kind of surprised. Something that, on the other hand, did not surprise me in the slightest. Have you heard about the, the Barney's World animated series that Mattel, after they require, or acquired the rights to the characters, uh, has in the works? This is the new completely animated preschool show, right? There you go. Okay. That's it exactly. Evidently, they've lined up a number of folks who are going to take on the project around the globe. And for example, it's going to end up on Cartoon Network's preschool block, uh, Carnito, and also the folks over at Max, which Max officially launches this week sometime. No, it's wait a the minute, 23rd. The it will 23rd. launch with Gremlin's Secret of the Mogwai. And now you uh, sent that along on the pile of, of stuff that you wanted to talk about today. So far, we only have the trailer, right? Yeah, this is a, we we had a teaser that was announced during the that was released during the kind of announcement of of Max, and now there is a full on trailer for the show, and I think it looks like a lot of fun. It it's uh, kind of got an interesting art style. They mm-hmm. sort of explain why his name is Gizmo, even though. Dilly's father gave him the name of Gizmo in the 1984 movie. It's sort of like he's saying that his name is something that could be confused with Gizmo. So the kid in the show says, oh, you're Gizmo. And, you know, that's the workaround, I guess. But it looks very cute. Yeah. Again, from a branding point of view and and a merch point of view, that, again, elegant workaround. Uh, Did we talk about this on air the Disney immersive thing, because you were trying to decide whether or not you should go out to Las Vegas to catch it, right? Yeah, now I don't need to, Jim, because it's coming on over to L.A. Yeah. yeah, and I'm kind of intrigued as to where they set it up, the Amoeba building on Sunset. Yeah, that's where that's where the Van Gogh thing has been. Is Boy, it really? Let me tell you, that, that area, Jim, used to just be really fun. Between that and the arc light and the Cinerama Dome, and there was a big yeah. grill and a pizza place. Yeah. And now it's just a ghost town. Uh, it's mm. really sad. Wasn't there news, though, about the arc light will reopen, but ha- what? They've kicked the can to 2024? Yeah, I mean, that building is still the only one owned and operated or owned by the people that own the other Pacific theaters. So they they held on to that piece of land and i think that the dome is historically protected so they can't put up like gross you know condo buildings but okay yeah the 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 amoeba has um been home to the van gogh exhibit for the past few years and amoeba has since moved sort of down the street onto vine Mm. across the street from the funko flagship store which jim i know is uh, oh oh no <laughs> something that you're very excited about do you suppose the place they cleared all of those et atari or games out of is is that where the funkos are going yeah i think that uh that's how the, the walls of the funko building were made of those uh, et cartridges and yeah oh, and now it's covered God. in the blood of of mondo so that's where it is now but yeah i'm, I'm really looking forward to actually getting to check out the, the immersive Disney exhibit. I didn't realize that it was already in 13 other cities. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, in fact, they just extended the one in Boston. Uh, in fact, what, what's so funny is that, that as part of the, the press kit for the L.A. launch, they actually include quotes from the folks who saw it in Boston. And, I mean, uh, tickets for it are, are already on sale and, again, uh, officially launches on June 23rd. 
What were the quotes from Boston? Somebody going, ah, it was wicked good. You should have seen it. We had to park the car over in Harvard Yard, but it, we got there and it was amazing. Uh, well, I, I, I would that they were, were that authentic and funny but no it's a peek behind the curtain that you will just never otherwise get and don't get me wrong it's fun dorothy mccam and the folks who, who worked on it did a great job um there's some genuinely wonderful sequences in it when i was talking with dorothy out ahead of the vegas one they were supposed i mean the, the whole concept of the show is it's supposed to be modular so they can drop new stuff in and the notion of oh you saw that version of the disney immersive you know you got to come back and see uh the one where we were adding under the sea and in fact that's the one that we're supposedly prepping but i got warned off about talking about it going into vegas i wonder if they'll debut uh under the sea in Los Angeles. We will see, Jim. Maybe they'll just do the sing the rapping seagull part from the new mm. one instead. <laughs> well, That'd they, be a thrill. No, you face it. You have to clear the people out of the building for the next group to get That's in. <laughs> now, on the second half of the show, Drew's going to talk all about, it was this weekend you did your thing at Gallery Nucleus with, with uh, Craig McCracken, right? Yeah, yesterday. It was a huge hit, Jim. You should have... Uh, should have been there. It was great. I it was busy delivering lasagna, but but yes, I should have been there. <laughs> but did you see the story that came out via a Gold Derby about Incredibles 2? No. Why was there a story about Incredibles 2 coming out in the year of our Lord 2023? There's been a lot of talk lately about AI. And in fact, you know, supposedly that that's one of the issues that's on the table with the Writers Guild. But Gold Derby sat down with your buddy, Brad Bird. They announced they're going to make Incredibles 2, but he was busy working on Tomorrowland. Movie gets announced March of 2014. Brad himself could not begin working on the movie till April of 2015, again, because he's already made this commitment to the, the Tomorrowland movie. A year and a half later, Disney suddenly moves up the release date of Incredibles 2 by a full 12 months. Now it's coming out in 2018, so that Toy Story 4 has the time it needs. And, and I think reading between the lines here, that's also kind of the Lassiter situation. But Brad talked about how he had a very different storyline set up for Incredibles 2 initially. It was, it was much more ambitious about artificial intelligence. And, and one evidently the studio itself was really excited about. But the problem was with the newer, you know, closer release date with less time to make the movie – Something that ambitious just was not going to be possible. So Brad, from all of his years of working on things like The Simpsons and used to working with tight production deadlines, and in situations like that, they, what's the phrase they use? You've got to kill your darlings. So they, they went with a simpler story. I mean, you, you got to interview Brad a, a couple of times. Did you get to talk with him for Incredibles too? Yeah, yeah, and I know... I know what those plans were, the kind of mm -hmm. AI thing. You can see some of it on the Blu-ray. There's a sequence mm -hmm. at Edna's house where mm -hmm. all the appliances come to life and mm -hmm. try to kill her and Jack-Jack, and it's really great. Jack-Jack uses all his, his powers to mm -hmm. save Edna. But there were really... Anyone who says, like, it's very weird that the movie just climaxed on a boat, which I mm -hmm. is something that I sympathize with. 
at one point, this AI was going to take over the entire city and buildings were going to come to life and all of this crazy stuff that didn't end up happening because of what you said. They they lost a year out of their production schedule and all that stuff went away because they just had to get it done. And a boat is a lot easier than a living building. Uh, so, yeah. I really want Brad to catch a break. I mean, I still there's still a part of me that I just can't imagine what it was like to be working on 1906 and to have this thing that Disney and Warners were going to work together. And didn't they have like the, all of the sound stages that Warners set aside? Cause that was actually going to happen. Oh yeah. It got very close. Very uh, close. Yeah. Totally changing the subject here. When Drew and I get back from this commercial break, Drew's going to tell us all about sitting down and talking with Craig McCracken about his amazing career in animation. Before we get to the Craig McCracken stuff, can you you talk about the Digman renewal? Well, I mean, I, I think we should use the word renewal in quotes, Jim, as we've explained oh, there many, we go. many times yes. before. Yeah, I think this is just I am the second. so sorry. Yeah. I, yeah. Keep, I keep falling for this. I know. You, you're like, wow, they're doing more episodes of an animated series and not just. I mean, uh, see, this is the difference between the guy who records in New Hampshire and the guy who records in L.A. It's, <laughs> it's, like, it's like, yes, you put 20 episodes in, into production. Oh, what a surprise. Season one is 10 episodes. Gee, I wonder what's going to happen with those other 10 <laughs> episodes exactly Ugh. so i've seen the new clone high episodes jim which are mm. excellent oh, i should tell you okay yes but yeah that's another thing where they there are 20 episodes total mm-hmm. and we'll get 10 now and another 10 in the not too distant future i would say probably next year maybe but um yeah so i think digman is the same thing they just they made 20 episodes and so now they're saying it's renewed when it's like not renewed you're just putting out the rest of the ones that you already made but yes it's interesting we're talking about digman and again the whole notion of you sign up for 20 episodes and those are two seasons and when you think about what just happened with netflix and kid cosmic we are always just so lucky when we get a craig mccracken show you look at what this guy has been involved with whether it's, it's powderpuff girls or foster's home for imaginary friends or Wander Over Yonder, which even today has a special place in my heart. But he's still out there plugging away, right? Oh, yeah. We talked for over an hour. Mm-hmm. And how I did it was I just went through his entire career. So mm-hmm. uh, we got the complete story about everything, okay. including mm-hmm. what happened with Wander, where Kid Cosmic came from, the fact that he mm-hmm. was kind of finishing Kid Cosmic as Netflix animation was burning down around him. We got a lot of... What do you want to hear about, Jim? You tell me. So what did happen with Wander? You know, which, which again, had so many of my favorite vocal... Perform- I mean, you know, just, you know, April Winchell alone, that I would tune into the show just for, for her character. Well, what, let me start with the um, voice cast, because he said that he actually had a lunch meeting with... Um, mm-hmm. Jack McBrayer and McBrayer was a huge fan of Foster's and said, you know, Mm -hmm. if you ever have anything, the smallest part, please let me know. I will do it. And Craig had been working on this thing called Wander Over Yonder as a comic book. And he was just this Muppety guy. And he said Mm. after that lunch meeting that he said, oh, my God, I think I know who Wander Mm. is. It's Jack McBrayer because he said he's just as sweet in real life and kind of affable and guileless Mm -hmm. and that was it so 
what happened with season three is that he mm-hmm. went to Disney and pitched them season three. And they said, mm, that's nice. And just didn't pick it up. So he told us what the story for season three was going to be, mm-hmm. which was that they would collect all the kind of crazy characters that they had met along the way, mm-hmm. put them all in the ship, you know, kind of pa- paint it electric mayhem style, like the bus. And okay. it was them kind of traveling around the universe, delivering, you know, aliens back to their planets or whatever. But it was really interesting because it was Wander and Sylvie and Hater and what's his name? Peepers on the mm-hmm. on the ship together, having to coexist. And he said it was a really great, fun, <gasps> funny dynamic of just having them all in the same place at mm-hmm. the same time for the whole season. So that was the idea for season three. Wasn't season two where Lord Hater had to deal with the first time with competition, Lord Dominator, right? Who turned out to be a really mean teenage girl. Right. I mean, it, it was kind of interesting that the show stepped away from uh, or uh, evolved out of uh, what they'd done for season one. And did it not hold its numbers? I mean, what, what, well, what did this be it, it was incredibly expensive to produce because it was, uh, you know, they never reused the same location twice because it was all, all over the universe. Oh, interesting and, point. Yeah, and he said that it was also somewhat hampered by the fact that... Hmm. It was really Hater's show, it, not it was not Wander's show, and that he uh-huh. if he could have done it again, he would have named it, you know, Lord Hater, or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. Master of Everything. The other mm-hmm. thing that was really a strike against it was there, there were no children characters, and there were no, there weren't even any humans, so that was a big ding against it. And if you look at the shows that came after, mm-hmm. like Amphibia like Star versus the Forces of Evil, like Owl House, they all had that human child component that Wander Over Yonder was not that did not have. Even even the future worm, you know, had a kid at the center. So yeah. Interesting. But wow. what's really interesting, Jim, and you will be very interested to hear about this, he said that Kid Cosmic was actually developed at Disney. Whoa! Yeah, that he had the the he actually produced a full animatic pilot for the for the first episode. He had gotten the okay to do a serialized show after the success of Gravity Falls. It okay. was the same show. It was called The Kid from Planet Earth at the time, mm-hmm. and it had a kid at the center mm-hmm. again. So yeah. he, you know yeah. he knew he, that, and they loved it. But then they said that Disney was not programming animation original animation for young boys and at the same time the owl house was getting developed and they said we are going to go with the owl house instead which you know obviously is a brilliant show that we love yeah but that but... also had a you know had its issues too with of Disney. course um but then he said okay but he had a he had a little carve out in his contract that he could take it somewhere else he went and showed it to Netflix. Mm-hmm. They went crazy for it. Mm-hmm. He said, do I need a pitch or whatever? And they said, no, how does how does three seasons sound? Oh. And that's how it uh, got greenlit. They, they changed the name to Kid Cosmic because there was another title, a similarly mm-hmm. titled project at Netflix. But yeah, it was it was going to be a Disney project, which is really interesting that after Wander Over Yonder, he stuck around and created that amazing show. Wow. 
Now, you're killing me that I didn't tune in yesterday. And did, did Gallery Nucleus do the live broadcast? They didn't again? do the live broadcast, but they recorded it. So I think it'll be online sometime. Oh, I'll, cool. I'll get a copy, Jim, and send it to you. Because we really we went through his entire filmography, you know, career. We talked about him designing the characters for the Dumb and Dumber TV show, which he did. Uh, and, you know, he was he was my friend, uh, Penn Ward's kind of mentor at Cartoon Network. He was the one that kind of rescued Adventure Time from Nickelodeon and said to Cartoon Network, you have to put this on. This is the next best show. So he's an amazing guy. And he he did tease a couple of upcoming projects, Jim, including a Powerpuff Girls reboot that he is overseeing. So this will okay. not be the 2016-2017 failed reboot. And okay. also a Foster's preschool show spinoff okay i i could see that yeah I could that see is set that. in the same house he's like it's just like if you turn the camera to the right and you were just capturing a, another set of characters so oh. it's sort of younger characters learning what to do because blue is screwing mm -hmm. up and that mm -hmm. he he's kind of like the the older imaginary friend they're watching and they're learning from him kind of messing up and mm -hmm. that's what the new show is about which is very cute okay. Was Lauren there? Did she come along? I or? thought I, she, he was. I was like, "Tell Lauren I said hello," and he was like, "I think she's here." I didn't see her, but you know, she okay. was. She was definitely talked about because okay. they're uh, you know a force to be reckoned with. I was lucky enough when she had uh, Medusa set up at Sony. I, I got to sit with her in her office for a half hour and have her talk me through that movie. And we've got the Netflix saving from the, the, the fire, the shape-changing teenage girl. Oh, uh, Nimona. Nimona. And I wish that somebody would be smart enough to reach out to Lauren and find out, we got you know, Nimona away from Blue Sky. Can we get Medusa away from Sony? Because it, it was the greatest idea for a teenage girl empowerment story funny as hell based in the greek gods and and mythology and all that there were some pencil tests that were on twitter a couple weeks ago i don't know if you saw those with her running through the forest but that was an earlier version i think that was from the, the 2d version but her okay. running through and getting the snakes caught on the tree did you see all that <laughs> it was so good it was so good but you know he said something jim about her show lauren's mm -hmm. show toil and trouble which was being worked on at netflix mm -hmm. at the same time and he said they were going to send the storyboards to Mercury Filmworks, mm. which is you know one of our favorite animation studios, on a Monday. Yep. He got the call on Friday that the oh. show was being shut down, and she had to fire everybody on that same day. I, God. He thought he he was like I thought that I was going to retire at mm -hmm. Netflix. That's how sure of the place I was. What amazes me about the Lauren Faust and the Craig McCrackens of the world is, is they deal with this sort of nonsense working animation. They've, they've had these things happen over and over and over again, and they still get up and do it again. They still, all right, that didn't work. That crashed and burned next. You know, I, I don't know if, if I, I would have the fortitude, let alone the creative death to just, all right, get back on the horse, do it again. I know. Although that said, when you were Craig McCracken and you're you're the guy who did Powder Puff or Fosters, I mean, you know, at least you you have that in your back pocket and you have these opportunities to revisit characters and that that sort of thing. And I'm really hoping and that happens someday with Wander because 
that was such an amazing show. Yeah. But, you know, to have you pop the hood like that. And it's like, yeah, he needed a little kid friend. Yes, <laughs> you know, exactly. Well, there was, a, there was a girl in the front row wearing a bootleg Wander Over Yonder t-shirt. And, uh, I, and I said, you know, mm-hmm. what, what happened? Why didn't they make anything? And he said, I was told mm-hmm. that it would have to be a guaranteed billion dollars in merchandise before they would even <sighs> attempt to make anything. This is what makes me crazy about Disney. Those sorts of conversations where the amount of money that Disney insists on as in, you know, well, we need a guarantee. We need, you know, we need to know we're going to make that much money. That other companies would fall over. The, you know, oh, we're only going to make $100 million worth of merchandising. It's fine. A hundred mi- we're going to make $100 million. And it's like, oh, no, no, no. That, that, that's hardly worth our time. We're Disney. That's just what Bob Iger takes out of his pockets every night and puts on the dresser before he goes to bed. Yeah. And Disney didn't used to be like this. In fact, I know you've been working on your Disney in the 90s project. But I've been doing a lot of reading about the company lately in like 92, 93. For example, Len and I this week are talking about the Aladdin's Oasis attraction at Disneyland. Did you ever hear anything about that? No, I never did because it was never really utilized uh, in the past few years, which is the only time that I went to. It would be like the place where you would pick up your badge for a (laughs) press event or something. You know what I mean? It was like, yeah. Aladdin opens in theaters November of 92, you know, and it suddenly becomes the highest grossing animated film Disney had up till that time. And of course, Lion King comes out 18 months later, but Eisner said, oh my God, you know, we have to do something with this in Anaheim. And so they ordered in, I want to say January, February, a clone of the Royal Caravan Parade. So they, they rushed that five unit thing, but they're also looking at the, the amount of money that the uh, Breakfast with Aladdin is having in the Soundstage Theater at Disney MGM. And like, okay, we need a restaurant in Anaheim, you know, an Aladdin-themed restaurant. And it's like, and the normal thing, the the way it works, is that a normal restaurant, it's a year built from the moment you come up with a concept to when you turn the key and hand it off. They did that entire thing in five months. And they spent so much money. In fact, I got this straight from David Mumford. He basically told me that they had eight seatings a day in that restaurant. They started at 11 o'clock in the morning. And the last seating for 250 people, mind you, 10 o'clock at night. And the only way the place was going to stay open is if they filled every seat at every seating. And David's like, it was insane from from the day one. People weren't going to come in the park and sit down to have a full lunch at 11 o'clock in the morning. Or more to the point, they weren't going to sit down and have a full dinner at 10 o'clock when they would have to, just as soon as the show was over, walk out the door. So it, it all crashed and burned inside of 14 months. How have we not had an actual attraction based on that movie? It's just... If you remember the, uh, the Imagineering Lab with the the VR thing that Oh yes, then, I do remember that. That was a Disney Quest, right? Or was it an Innovations? Well, it it started at uh Imagining Lab was in Innovations and then eventually when they did finally launch Disney Quest in 98, it was an attraction there, but but at the same time it was, you know, the VR equivalent of a deep sea diving helmet. It's like, you know, here, put on this 35 pound thing and, and fly a carpet, kid. You having a good time? I mean, uh, what was it? Mermaid opened in theaters, the original hand drawn in 89. 
And we didn't actually get a, a quote-unquote ride with it till what, uh, 2012? And that was the crummy version. <laughs> yes. Right? Yes, it was. Yes. Yes, yes it, yes, it was. Huh. Not the, the wonderful fly-through Tony Baxter, you know, the thing that was originally designed for, for Disneyland Paris. But it may happen. Speaking of which, didn't we see a rumor just this week about Mr. Cruz potentially doing another Mission Impossible movie on the side of the two-parter that starts in the summer, right? Uh, if he is, it's going to be with a new creative team, I imagine. I don't know how anybody can get back into the swing of things after these two giant movies. I know he's got another project after eight that is a little bit more low-key. Okay. No, no jumping off of helicopters or anything but uh it's it's not the space movie either that i know that people are have been talking about oh okay listen he could do anything jim he's gonna he's gonna outlive us all he'll he'll look good doing it it's just you know it's depressing he's a (laughs) he's a force of nature (laughs) he is and and if you want to learn more about this force of nature you really need to check out the light diffuse podcast folks this is uh, the wonderful show that that mr taylor does with his equally talented co-host charles hood what are you guys up to this week over there uh well this week uh, i think i can say this because it's coming out after the trailer drops we're going to be breaking down the brand new trailer jim oh yeah so that'll be this week then we've got a great two-part interview with brian burke uh former Mm -hmm. bad robot executive who produced three through five cool 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 okay well all right seriously folks you want to check that out and then we have some other podcasts here you might want to check out we got uh disney dish with with len testo we got marvelous disney the podcast that aaron adams uh our, our editor here you know he and i talk about the latest news marvel and by the way Aaron also has an outside pod, a podcast of his own, uh, 32nd Street. And yes, uh, Brian Gaughan and I uh, will be getting a new looking at Lucasfilm up out of the ground this week or thereabouts. I'm, I'm almost hesitant to ask about the whole social media thing because I, I, I saw a tweet by you over the weekend. Are we still at Twitter or are we headed to Blue I'm Sky? I'm still on Twitter. I mean, people have asked me if they want to, if I need a Blue Sky account, Jim, but problem with blue yeah. skies nobody's on it so i don't know what i would go um all right and what about tribal you know that uh, oh, i haven't heard uh, about that what is that well uh, supposedly the folks who previously ran oh twitter. yes yes i've heard all yeah right. yeah okay but no i'm still on twitter yeah but look if you're looking for for us on social media i mean again drew you're there and i'm i'm on twitter and instagram is jim hill media and over on facebook is jim hill media news uh, beyond that, folks, if you could do Drew and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review, well, not just the show you're listening to right now, fine-tuning, but likewise, uh, put in a good word for Light Diffuse. Uh, that would be incredibly helpful, and I think that's going to do it for now. And when, when, I, when I finish all my homework that Mr. Taylor's giving me, we'll be back with a new show. But, but till then, thank you for listening.